بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him So let's continue our exploration of the beginning of Surat Al-Baqarah So last time we explored Alif Lam Mim We explored uh, the attributes of the people of Taqwa We explored some of the issues related to the people of Kufr, but we didn't define what is Kufr. So, in the very different Islamic sciences, whether we're talking about law, um, aqidah, theology, uh, Quran, etc., the same words will have different meanings. So, for example, in law, in Islamic law, the focus is on your actions. The focus is on what is on the outside, right? So that's where you have questions like, what can you eat? How do you dress? How do you perform your prayers? And so in that case, any non-Muslim is a kafir. Okay. In the Quranic outlook, it's different. Okay. So in, in law... Either you're Muslim, in English, you're Muslim or non-Muslim. Um, in, in terms of the Arabic, either you're Muslim or you're Kafir. Okay. But that's law, meaning that's how we identify people. Likewise, munafiq, what is a munafiq? A hypocrite, which we'll be talking about shortly. A munafiq is someone that is not really a category in Islamic law. And we'll see why uh, in, in a bit. In the Quranic outlook, a kafir is someone who feels compelled to turn to Allah and suppresses that compulsion. So a kafir is internally feeling a need or a desire to turn to Allah. This is a good thing to write. But, for whatever reason, suppresses it. And this even relates to the word. In terms of the etymology of the word kafir, this, a lot of these terms in the Quran relate either to business or to farming. And so here, Gaffer, uh, historically, was someone who would take a seed and plant it into the ground and bury it in the soil. Good. And so what is a Gaffer in the Quranic outlook? A, a Gaffer is someone who feels this Iman, but then buries it. Good. It could be because someone is doing that one to them. It could be because they're just reflecting on the world and start thinking, okay, Allah didn't just create this, or this isn't created haphazardly, there's a creator behind this. Okay, whatever it is, they feel compelled to turn to Allah, and they suppress it. Okay. Which means what? In the Quranic outlook, a kafir and a non-Muslim are not the same thing. See what we're saying? So how do you figure out if someone's a kafir? In general, you can't. You have to be very cautious about calling someone a kafir. Right? What does the prophet say, peace be upon him? If you call someone a kafir, one of you is definitely a kafir. And so, in Islamic law, like if you're categorizing people, yeah, you have Muslim, non-Muslim in English, Muslim kafir. But in the Quranic outlook, a kafir is someone who felt compelled to turn to Allah and suppresses that compulsion. Another opposite of, of kufr, so kufr is the state of being a kafir. 
So in the Quran, one of the opposites of kufr is shukr. What's shukr? That's an easy one. Thankfulness. Yeah, thankfulness, gratitude. Right? So if I feel compelled to turn to Allah and I'm saying no, what am I essentially saying? I'm ungrateful to Allah. So this is Kafir. This is Ayahs 6 and 7. Now let's talk about the next category. This is Ayahs 8 through 16. So we said these are the people of Nifaq. Nifaq is an interesting term. It's not listed here in these Ayahs, and there's other reasons that commentators infer for that. But for our purposes, we're looking at Nifaq. So Nifaq is what we often translate as what? Whisper louder so I can hear you. Um, hypocrisy. hypocrisy, yeah. And so, <clears throat> if we look at the etymology of this word, this is also interesting. So, um, who here knows Arabic pretty well in terms of just speaking it? Okay, what's the word for tunnel? You know, okay, maybe you don't know Arabic that well. Yeah. yeah. Sorry? Okay. Tongue or tunnel? Tunnel. Oh, tunnel. Yeah. Sorry? No, that's a bridge. Yeah. yeah. You guys haven't been in a tunnel in a long time. So, nafak. Oh. What makes a tunnel a tunnel? Okay. And what else? Like, okay. What's the shape of a tunnel? I mean, sometimes it's <laughs> circular. You have an opening at two separate ends. Okay. And so think about this in terms of trying to get a sense of what a hypocrite is, okay? That you go in through one end, and so suppose uh, you're living there, and someone's chasing after you. What do you do? You escape out the other end, okay? Uh, you've all seen Lord of the Rings, right? Okay. Well, some of you have not. Wow, mashallah. Okay, so, so in I think two and three, or it might have been one, no, I think in two and three, you know, what are they called, the orcs, or whatever they are, those, those scary monsters, they're attacking the fort of the good white people. And then what happens? <laughs> the, the good white people keep an escape door inside their fort to go out. Okay. So when the threat is coming, what does a hypocrite always have? The doorway out. Okay. This is a monopoly. So imagine you have a fort, and an army is coming to attack you, you keep an escape plan. Meaning a monophic will never put both feet into the deen. The monophic will have one foot in the deen and one foot outside of the deen. So now let's look at these attributes, and then we'll also get a sense of, of what these different groups are like. Okay. So ayah 8 through 10. Among people, there are those who say we believe in Allah on the last day, but they don't believe. They're trying to fool Allah and those who believe, but they fool nobody but themselves. And they don't realize it uh, because of all their lying. So one of the attributes here of Nifah is lying. Why does someone tell a lie? Suppose you're in class and you tell a lie. What? Sorry? From what? Okay, it could be from judgment, it could be from punishment. One reason we lie is because we're trying to avoid pain, judgment, punishment, all those things. What's another reason we might lie? 
So it would be the same thing to avoid. Yeah. Yes. To benefit Yeah. So like, let's say I'm applying for a job and I fake all my credentials. Right. I'm doing it so I get a reward. So why are you lying? Either you're trying to avoid some suffering, or you're trying to gain some benefit. Okay. So here's a question. So in the moment, Uthabilah, that I'm lying to you. I'm basically saying your ability to reward me or your ability to punish me is more of a concern for me than Allah rewarding me or punishing me. Right? That's what I'm basically saying in that moment. Is that shirk? First, somebody define for us what is shirk. Easy question. So associating anything with Allah or partnering anything with Allah. So is that shirk when I'm lying? Okay, who's saying yes? Well, let's vote. Again, non-binding, it's not a democracy. Who says yes, it is shirk? Raise your hand. Okay, who says no, it is not shirk? Okay, so a lot of people said yes. Those of you who said yes, why? Why is it shirk? Because, again, you're, like, you're worried about what other people are thinking or you're trying to impress somebody else. Okay. And the only person should be uh, like worried about judging you or giving you a reward is Allah. Okay. And so, and when you do that, you're kind of associating somebody else to Allah's level. Okay, okay. Who else? Yes? You're basically giving the person a higher status than the less punishment. Okay, okay. Yes? Well, then if that's shirk, then why isn't every other sin a shirk? Dun, dun, dun. If that's shirk, then every other sin would be shirk. Yeah. yeah. It's a trick question. Uh, always be cautious about saying, this looks like shirk, therefore it's shirk. Who defines for us what is ibadah, what is worship? Allah. Allah. Right? Through the Prophet, you see upon him. Therefore, who defines for us what is shirk? The same thing. Allah, by way of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Meaning, just because something might look like shirk, it doesn't mean it's shirk. We would call it sin. Right? It was totally a trick question. Likewise, if the Prophet, peace be upon him, is not calling something ibadah, worship, then it's not ibadah. Right? I might say, you know, I worship Allah by standing in the middle of a field and appreciating nature. Right? Is that ibadah? No. Ibadah are those specific things that the Prophet says are, are ibadah. Shirk is those specific things that the Prophet says are shirk. This would be categorized as sin. But it's an important point because a lot of times in Sunday school Islam you're taught, all right, if it's time to pray and you're playing your video game and you're playing your prayer, then you're committing shirk. Okay, that's like, that's like destructive to even teach a child that, right? You're basically making every single person in the universe a mushrik, okay? I mean, that's not even a sin unless you're skipping prayer. Okay, so this is the first attribute of those who lie. Second attribute, ayahs 11 and 12. When it is said to them, do not make fasad, do not make corruption or mischief in the world, they say... No, we are reformers. We're peacemakers. Okay. No, they're actually corruptors. They just don't realize it. Okay. This is a more subtle attribute. It's harder to detect on the surface. So someone comes to you and is giving you criticism. Okay. And then you respond by saying, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm actually improving things. Describe that personality. 
What is that person like? Okay. Stubborn. Uh, that's an interesting word, yeah. What else? Could you ask the question again? Okay. So let's say you come to me, you see I'm doing something wrong. Okay? And you say, hey, you're, you're causing problems this way. And I say, no, I'm not. I'm actually improving things. Okay? Uh, but in reality, I'm actually causing problems. I don't even realize it. Everybody else can see it. Ignorant. Ignorant will also be part of it. Yes? Deflected. I'm deflected. So what is another act, uh, attribute of the people of Nifak? They deflect criticism. So in each of these, we can also figure out what is the good category or the good behavior. Obviously, the opposite of lying is telling the truth. We're taught tell the truth even if it's bitter. But in terms of criticism, what should be the approach that you have regarding people criticizing you? If my goal is to be the best servant of Allah I can be, what should be my approach responding to, to criticism? What do you think? Sorry? Thankful. Thankful in what sense? Um, thankful that someone criticizes me for better. Yeah. What if criticism is wrong? Open-minded. Open-minded. Balance. So, balance is usually the word for every single question in Islam, right? <laughs> balance depends on your intention, depends on your context. You can answer pretty much every question in Islam with one of those. But, uh, yeah, the approach you should take is to regard every single bit of criticism you receive as constructive criticism. Everything. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it. In some cases, it might be wrong. Because in one of those cases, it might be that Allah is giving you advice through that person. And that person that Allah is using to give you advice might be a nobody. I mean, me, because I'm a teacher, I'm a speaker, I probably get more criticism than all of you combined. And seriously, I take consideration of every single piece of criticism that people give me, even if it's a repetition. Right? Because maybe someone was wrong three weeks ago, but someone else is saying the same thing today, and it might be right. Why? Because it may be that Allah Ta'ala is giving me some advice through these people. So the approach to take is every time you're receiving criticism, consider it. And if it's from somebody closer to you, it's probably correct. But criticism stings, right? It definitely stings, because you don't want to hear it. But when you start turning it into constructive criticism, it doesn't sting as much. Then you're like, oh man, I didn't realize this. So that would be that would be a way to, to help keep out of nifaq. Yes? So if we take everything as constructive criticism, when do we know what to act upon? So this is something that you have to introspect for yourself, right? If you have a close circle of friends, like I have a couple set of students where they're so tight with each other, right? Uh, they're brutally frank with each other. So they can ask each other, hey, is this right? And their friend will tell them. A lot of times, we don't have friends like that. And so usually you have to figure that out on your own. Or if you have a really close relationship with family, same thing. Right? But otherwise, you have to figure it out for yourself. So it may be uh, someone's giving you criticism, and you thought about it, and you just don't agree. Honestly, don't agree in terms of you trying to get closer to the law. Or it may be they're right. Or it may be they're right, but you're not yet in a place where you can fix this. But yeah, always consider criticism as constructive criticism. If you can accomplish that, you will find in the long term your development to be 
excellent, right? Especially compared to many of your peers, because you're going to see many of your peers don't want to hear any criticism from anybody. We get hypersensitive, right? Yes? Like, with one of these attributes, it doesn't necessarily make like, me so yeah, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, a way to think about all this is when I'm going through these, I should look to see how many of these attributes do I have, as opposed to, hey, look at that person, that person, I'm just describing this person, okay? No, how many of these do I possess? So, important point. Okay, next attribute. Uh, look at your translations. What's the next one? I have 13. When it is said to them, believe as the people believe, they say, shall we believe as the fools believe? No, but they're the fools and they don't realize. So how do you describe this personality? Ignorance. Sorry? Ignorance. Um, a word that sounds like ignorant. Arrogant. Arrogant. Yeah. Yes. There's actually two attributes here that are the same thing. <coughs> the other is that they devalue the community. The ummah. Right? When it is said to them, believe as the people believe, they say, shall we believe as the fools believe? No, but they're the fools, they don't realize it. So here's another point to think about. Okay, somebody give me a rough number. How many Muslims are there in the world today? Give or take a billion and a half. Okay, how many Muslims are there in America, give or take? Throw out a number. Nobody really knows, but give me a rough number. Okay, so these days the most current number is about three million. Okay. How many Muslims are there in Chicago? Give me a number. And they all eat at... So, 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 so here, Chicago, they say maybe 3 million people, 3 million Muslims. No, 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 I mean, Chicago, maybe 400,000 Muslims. But we've been saying that number for about 30 years, so who really knows, right? If you count how many people show up for Jummah, yeah, it's probably about 10,000, right? It gets really small. How many people show up for Fajr at the Masjid? Yeah, it's probably about 8. But anyway, <laughs> but there's places to improve. Okay. So, now think about this. Even if the population of Muslims in Chicago is a thousand people, okay, just a thousand, we have every single type of person in our ummah. We have people that are super pious, right? They pray all five, the hajjud, duha, everything. Okay. We have people who are super corrupt, right? Steal anything, cheat on every form. We have everything. Super rich, super poor, super educated, super not educated. We have everything. Which means what? Whatever I see in the ummah has truth in it, but it's actually reflecting me more than the ummah. Because whatever I see in the ummah is what I'm choosing to see in the ummah. So if I see the ummah as a bunch of fools, like this person, there's something correct there. We have fools in our ummah. But if that's what I'm thinking the whole ummah is, that's me projecting what is inside onto the ummah. So what am I saying here? You should value the ummah. The ummah is your family. And yes, we have every single type of person. And what are the common criticisms we give of the ummah? 
Okay? You might say we don't give any money. What else? Oh, they don't, they're, not, they're not accepting. Okay, that we're closed-minded, we don't accept people, we're not open. What else? Segregated. That we're segregated in every single way. Not, what else? Not, not religious enough. Okay, not religious enough. Sure. Anything else? Another one, we always say that we're divided. What else? Might be too political. All of those are correct, but none of those are the whole Ummah. Okay. And so if I wanted to say the Ummah is really humble, the Ummah is really pious, right? The Ummah is really trying to do what's right. That's also correct too, but it's not the whole Ummah. But what I'm saying is what I notice in the Ummah is telling you more about me than the Ummah itself. And so hypocrites are also revealing themselves by what they say. So I should be humble and I should not discount or devalue or insult the Ummah. This is something you find, unfortunately, uh, too often with people who do work, community work, uh, for the Ummah, is that it's very easy to start becoming jaded and frustrated. Okay? And then you start looking down on the Ummah, the same Ummah that you're claiming to serve. Okay? It's very easy to fall into that trap. That's basically shaitan running circles around you. Okay? That you start thinking that you're doing a favor to the whole Ummah and they don't realize that they're a bunch of idiots. Okay? The shaitan has gotten you. Yes? Sorry, um, I'm not understanding like, the response that they're giving back. So when they're saying that should we follow what the fools follow? So they're calling Muslims fools? Or yeah. they, but they're Muslims as well, and not yet. So they're Muslims also, and regarding the rest of the Muslims as fools. Later on in Al-Baqarah, this is also an address to the children of Israel who are looking at the Muslims as fools. But at this point, it's including Muslims who are looking at other Muslims as fools. Yes? Yeah, what advice would you give to someone who has become a um, That's a longer conversation. Ask me if we have time at the end, because that's a very important question, too. Uh, but one aspect of it is you always have to look at any opportunity you have to serve as a gift that Allah has given to you, right? So I was given an opportunity to stand here and teach you guys. Either I can do it for ego reasons and make all you guys think I'm really smart, or I can think to myself, okay, Allah has just given me an opportunity. And that's what you should also always look at. It as. Meaning, if you stop getting those opportunities, you better figure out what you're doing wrong. So anytime someone's asking you for money, anytime someone's asking you for time, Look at it as though Allah Ta'ala has just opened a window for you to help someone, and thus get closer to him. Okay. Fourth attribute. Okay. Someone read this for us. Actually, who wants to read? All right, fine, you guys are out of energy. When they're with those who believe, they say we believe, and when they're with their shaitans, they say we're actually with you, we're making fun of them. What attribute is this? Indecisive. More than indecisive. Two-faced. Two Harvey Dent. Okay. Two-faced. Is Harvey Dent a monophic? I mean, he's not even Muslim, so. Unless he became Muslim. Okay. So, so what does it mean to be two-faced? Exactly what we just described. With these people, you behave this way, and with these people, you behave the opposite way. But now let's take a moment and think about this. <clears throat> when you and I are here in our wonderful camp, we're behaving a particular way. We're behaving all pious and such, right? Uh, when we're with our cool friends, 
not including our camp friends here. When we're with our cool friends, we might behave a little bit differently. Okay. When we're with our family, we might behave even more differently. Is that this? Why not? Someone tell me why not. Okay. You need like a balance. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's a balance. So, in different contexts, you might behave in different ways, but they're not contradictions of each other, mm -hmm. right? So, my family sees this much of me, okay? My friends see this much of me, okay? My coworkers see this much of me. My students will see this much of me, right? But it's still always me. This version of me does not contradict this version of me, right? I know it's hard for you to believe, but I'm not always this cool. Right. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, being two-faced is literally contradicting. And you're saying to this other group, we're actually with you, we're making fun of them. And so what does Allah Ta'ala say in the ayah about these people? So this is scary, that Allah Ta'ala is mocking them, and he's letting them continue this way, okay, to go further down this road. That's kind of scary. We're saying that if I'm behaving like a hypocrite, Allah Ta'ala will let me continue behaving like a hypocrite. Okay. So what is a way to prevent this? What, would you, what advice would you give? For if I don't want to be two-faced, what advice would you give me? Personality consistent. So try to be as consistent as possible. Like you know when you're being contradictory. Yeah. Um, but you can reach a point where you're so deep you don't even see it anymore. Yeah. Right? We have a very scary teaching of the Prophet, peace be upon him, where, and I'm paraphrasing, he says that, you know, if you lie and you keep lying, Allah Ta'ala will record you as a liar. Yeah. And how is that understood by many? You'll reach a point where you can't stop lying. Allah Ta'ala has now branded you as a liar. I mean, you can't even tell the truth anymore. You won't even realize it. You become a pathological liar. Yeah. That's scary, because look what it says. Allah Ta'ala lets you go further and further down that road. Yeah. What else is a big part of this that we see in that ayah? Look at who you keep company with. Okay. You've heard the narration about the perfume salesman, right? And the, the blacksmith, right? So for everybody... Your friend is to you like a perfume salesman, that if you spend time with someone selling perfume, what's going to happen to you? You're going to start smelling really good. And the perfume salesperson it might even give you more, right? Might be generous. If you spend time with a blacksmith, what's going to happen? You're going to smell, you're going to be covered in soot, and that's what your friends are to you, that's what you are to your friends. Be very vigilant about who your friends are. Yes? How do you deal with, like, when you're in an Like, you were looking for Muslims you can find any anywhere. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't that. It 
it was like when you're in the haram, you just like want to practice the way people are practicing. Like it's inspiring to you. Yeah. But how do you how do you balance that with feeling like maybe you aren't being um, consistent in your actions like you would at home? Okay, okay, okay. This is interesting. I know like Saudi is like an extreme example. Like when but you're but you're at the haram, so yeah, that's fair. Okay. So this is an interesting point uh, to give an idea of how serious nifaq is. How we should all be concerned about being monophics. I'll give you two narrations. One relates to yours. So, uh, there's this one companion named Hanzala, right? Or Lucel Hanzala. So, Hanzala is walking down the streets of Medina. Some of you might have heard the story. Walking through the streets of Medina, and he's shouting, Nafaka Hanzala, Nafaka Hanzala. Okay? So, Hanzala has become a hypocrite, or this word also means Hanzala has just perished himself. And Abu Bakr, may I be pleased with them both, comes up to him and says, you know, here for you. what are you saying? Why are you saying this? And he says that when I'm in the company of the Prophet, peace be upon him, my iman is so high. But when I go away, I feel like my iman goes down. And then Abu Bakr says, I have the same problem. So what do they decide to do? So let's ask the Prophet about this. So they go to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and then they ask him, and he says, your Iman is that high when you're with me because I'm the Prophet. Okay? If your Iman always remained that high when you're away from me, then angels would visit you while you're in bed to shake your hand. Okay? So the point being, what you're describing is completely natural. That if you're in the Haram, you're going to have super Iman. That is probably not going to be as high when you're away from the Haram. Right? Just like when you're in superhero camp, you're probably going to have higher Iman than when you go away. Hopefully you'll have, you know, your higher Iman is here. It's not like you won't increase when you leave. But the point being that what you're describing, some of that is, is, is human. So is it natural to, like, I, I feel like Shaitan sometimes comes at it as like, oh, you're not being who you really are at home. Exactly. Shaitan's going to totally try, to, try to make you feel like you're a hypocrite. So related to that, I mean, I'll give you the second narration in a second. Uh, believers, or no, hypocrites, uh, often believe that they're true believers. Yeah. True believers are always afraid that they're hypocrites. Right? Because true believers are paying attention to all their faults. So you should definitely be paying attention to your faults. But what you want is long-term improvement. So it's not that, okay, my mind is so good here, but I suck when I'm at home. No. My mind is so good here, but what am I missing here that I can improve upon? So look for things that you can actually improve upon in terms of action. It could mean something as simple as increasing nuffle prayers, something like that. Okay. <clears throat> now, the other narration, to give an idea of how serious it is to be concerned about being a, a monophit. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, tells Hudayfa, one of the companions, that person, that person, that person, they're hypocrites, don't tell anybody. Okay. And word spreads that the Prophet, peace be upon him, tells Hudayfa who these hypocrites are. So Omar comes to him. Okay. So the previous narration was Super Sahaba number one, Abu Bakr, now Super Sahaba number two, Omar. And Omar says, I heard the Prophet, peace be upon him, identified some hypocrites for you. Was I one of them? It says, Omar, Super Sahabi, is concerned that the Prophet is identifying him as a hypocrite. Because if the Prophet's doing it, that means it's truth. Okay. And Hudayfa says, I can't tell you whom those three people are, but I can tell you you are not one of them. Okay. So my point is that if super sahabas are concerned about being hypocrites, 
you and I definitely have to be concerned about being hypocrites. And that would perhaps make sense why we're talking about hypocrites literally on page three of the Quran. That early. Because think about it. If I was going to introduce Islam to a room full of people, I'm just going to talk about happy things. You know, belief in Allah, the Prophet, Son is wonderful, day of judgment, and, you know, Quran is awesome. Okay? But here, Allah is introducing the Quran to us, and literally, that quickly, he's talking about very unhappy things. So what is one lesson here? Life is very serious. And what else are we learning? Life is a series of the choices that I make. Now, there's something else interesting in all of these. <coughs> in every of these traits, we have something that the hypocrites are saying. They're lying. Okay? They're telling lies. They are saying, no, we're actually improving things. Shall we believe as the fools believe? We're actually with you. We're making fun of them. Hypocrites can't control their tongues. So what is one way for me to keep myself under control is to control my tongue. There's almost nothing in your entire body that is easier to control than your tongue. So if you can't control your tongue, you can assume your whole character might, be, might have more corruption than you want to Then how do you also start straightening yourself out, keep your tongue straight? Okay. Which could be being silent or just keep filling up your tongue with good things. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, something like that, right? So, just keep filling up your tongue with good things. Okay. This is one, if you look at all the attributes in the Quran about hypocrites, over and over again, not in every case, but over and over again, you'll see they can't control their tongues. Okay. So think about that. I mean, what's very common is many of our peers will gossip, many of our peers will use bad language, and each time you're doing that, you're putting darkness on your heart with the easiest tool you have, your tongue. Okay, any questions about all this so far? This room is really hot and stuffy, so let's take a moment, everybody stand up. Stand up, stretch really quickly, like 15 seconds, stretch, move your arms around, everybody get up, 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 up. You guys are totally have not anywhere close to the amount of energy you had last time. Up. If you want, you can do jumping jacks or something. Just don't jump too hard because the floor might break. Okay. Yeah, this room is really stuffy. You guys been in this room all day? Oh, man. All right, let's continue. <laughs> okay. To get a sense of all of these, let's look at this amazingly beautiful chart that I've made. Okay. So, one, we have the people of Taqwa. We have the people of Kufr. We have the people of Nifaq. INT internal would be the condition of their heart. Okay. External would be their actions. So the first is what is the condition of the heart? And then what are their actions? Meaning what do they show on the outside? Okay. So a person of taqwa in their heart, 
they have iman. Okay. So they, what do we? How do we define iman yesterday? Anybody remember? And you're welcome to look at your notes. You guys are so drained of energy. So Yeah, so they are secure in their heart about the truth. Okay. And on the outside, Islam. So what you see on the outside, they're presenting themselves as Muslim. Okay. A kafir on the inside has kufr, meaning rejection. Remember, that's a condition of the heart. And then for our purposes, we'll say on the outside, they're non-Muslim. What about a monafic? What is a monafic on the outside? A Muslim. What is a monafic on the inside? Gafir. This is a hypocrite. And what does it say in every one of those four attributes? They don't realize it. I have 10, they don't know. I have 12, they don't realize it. I have 13, they don't realize it. I have 14, they don't realize it. Over and over again. Okay. Yes? So, like, if you, like, have some of those, like, diseases in your heart, you, um, like, you, like, realize it, and, like, you're trying to work, like, you're trying to, like, work towards the knowledge of the law, say you die in that state, and, like, so you do have the intention of, like, working on it, then you consider that you So, uh, the answer is Allah knows best, but the answer is inshallah you'll be rewarded for your intention. Right? There's a whole bunch of stories. There's a famous story about the guy who kills 99 people. Yeah. Don't know that story, right? But then he goes, he's looking, trying to get to the town, but he doesn't get there all the way. And so from that, you can, you can understand that maybe, inshallah, you'll be okay. And hopefully, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will give you rahmah. Inshallah. There's a fourth one here. What's the fourth one? We're only talking about three attributes in the text. There's another one. What would it be on the inside? What would it be on the outside? Sorry? Gofar on the outside and Iman on the inside. When would you have that? Like, let's say, like, your family or something like that um, is, like, or, like, in the Prophet Muhammad said in the like, maybe someone like in the Quraysh, like, uh -huh. all this, like, pressure, so he didn't, like, socially, like, make it, present mm -hmm. like, in his heart, like, he knew it. So, yeah, this would be a case when you know persecution is going on. I mean, I've met people over the years who are Muslim, and in private, they pray. In all their social interactions, they present themselves as whatever. Inshallah, right? Allah will accept them. But the point is that that's usually a hint that there's some persecution going on. A lot of times you have this experience with converts. Converts, for various reasons, don't or can't tell their folks or their family that they become Muslim. Right? I mean, I have a student who, who's Hindu, who, who uh, I've, actually no, I have multiple students who are Hindu, who have converted to Islam, but years into it, they haven't told their parents. Right. Uh, yeah, this is usually a sign that if you tell people, you're going to be in trouble. And then societally, it's also very much a sign that persecution is going on. Okay, so IS-16 sums up these people. So let's look at IS-16. What are these people doing? <clears throat> They are choosing between guidance and error. And they choose error. 
thinking that they're going to get some profit for it. And they lose guidance, and they don't get any profit. So what are we saying here? One thing you're going to hear me keep repeating uh, from yesterday all the way through to today is your whole life is a series of choices. Yeah? And sometimes you have to choose between right and wrong. And the way it looks is that the wrong choice you know is wrong, but life will be easier, you'll have less worry, all those things, but you know it's the wrong choice. And the right choice means more work, less gain. But what happens if I make the wrong choice? It's a guarantee that all the gain that I think I'm getting, I'm not really going to get. Okay. So let's say I'm lying to get a higher paying job. I might get that higher paying job, but the amount of net money I have will not be an increase. My expenses might go up. I might have sudden, sudden other expenses. And I'm also losing guidance in the process here. So this is one of the big tests of life. Sometimes you have to choose between right and wrong. And you know the right way is the more difficult way. The wrong way seems so much better. Try your best to make yourself choose the right way. Because it's a guarantee the wrong way is not going to give you all the wonderful things you're looking for. And you may fool yourself into thinking you've got it. Because Shaitan is going to put what idea in your mind? Just do it this one time. Okay. You'll be okay. After that, don't do it. Just do it this one time. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Any questions about hypocrisy? So what are we saying? Be very, very concerned about being a hypocrite. And if you stop being concerned about being a hypocrite, then you should be even more concerned. Because it means you're probably already down the wrong path. Yes? So we just went through 8 through 16, right? Yes. Could you like break it down so just so I could write down what I had to Sure. 8 through 10 is lying. 11 through 12 is deflecting criticism. 13 is arrogance and devaluing the community. 14 15 is being two-faced. And then 16 is giving us the essence of a hypocrite, which is that the hypocrite is choosing the wrong way, hoping for more profit, but is losing guidance, and they're not getting much profit. Yes? So I don't really have a name for this person. Uh, an example of this would be, uh, for example, Amar. Um, he watches his mother, Sumaya, get killed. And then he watches his father, um, Yasser, get killed. And then the Quraysh asks him, okay, do you give up your belief? And he says, yeah. And then they're happy with him. They let him go. He runs to the Prophet, peace be upon him. He says, okay, uh, they just killed my mother. They just killed my father. And so they asked me if I give up my belief. And I said, yeah. So what's going to happen to me now? And the Prophet says, peace be upon him, Allah Ta'ala is not going to hold you account for what's not in your heart. Good. Um, but we have many cases, even in the world today, where Muslims are being persecuted, so for survival, they hide the fact that they're Muslim. Okay. I mean, I remember one of my students was a Muslim raised in India a long time ago. And in his town, Muslims were literally being slaughtered. And so to hide the fact that he was Muslim, he was wearing a cross. Right? And he felt bad about it for every second. Right? Um, but he didn't want to get killed. Okay. Um, some of us will say, well, then you'd be Shaheed. Okay. And if it is time for you to die, you would be. But yeah, sometimes these are the tough decisions of, of life. Okay, IS 17 through 20 is metaphor about these types of people. Okay. Uh, someone tell us what is a metaphor. 
comparison. What's the difference between a metaphor and a simile? Yeah, yeah. People always remember the simile you like ass. Give me an example of a metaphor. DJ Khaled is a lion. Yeah, I was trying to make sure that's what you said. <laughs> that's what you believe? No, I don't. Uh, maybe you don't think it because you would really need this class more. Okay. Um, <laughs> what else? Well, what does that mean if we're saying DJ Khaled is a lion? Or DJ Khaled? <laughs> well, what, what, what does that mean? He has the qualities of a lion. Which is what? Like the right sound of one? Loud, extremely loud. Okay. Loud, tough, sitting in the jungle. Okay. What else? Give me another metaphor. Anyone? Oh, my sister, give me a metaphor. Sorry? It's raining cats and dogs. It's raining cats and dogs. So what does that mean? It means that if a cat and dog lands at me, I have to redo my wudu. Like, what does that mean? It's raining hard. It's raining really, really hard. Okay. What else? Another metaphor. Gentleman. Gentleman. A metaphor. Okay, what else? How about sisters? Give me a, uh, give me a, uh, a metaphor. Yeah, they're totally great. You know why you're drained of energy? I'm guessing you guys were all probably up really late, and it's all beginning to catch up with you now. Yeah, that's what happens at camp. So, give me a metaphor. <laughs> Look at you all here. Like, <laughs> Anyone? Seriously? We'll just stand here for about two hours until someone gives you a metaphor. Anyone? Anyone? You're a gem. I'm a gem. Mashallah. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm a you're a gem. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're a dime. I'm a dime. What is that? Oh, I'm a ten out of ten. Mashallah. Now that's interesting. Look at what just happened. Okay. Our buddy here gave me a metaphor, and how did he explain it? With another metaphor. So what does 10 out of 10 mean? You're perfect. I'm perfect. Is that a metaphor? I think that might not be. Okay, what does that mean, that I'm perfect? You have no faults. No faults, no flaws. I'm just asking more and more so I can hear more praise. Of my, okay. okay. Constructive praise. Okay. So now let's look at these metaphors. I have 17 is, or 17 and 18 are a metaphor. I have 19 is another metaphor. I have 20 is another metaphor. The first one, their likeness, mathalohum, their likeness is as the following. And here your translation has a few uh, subtle problems. So the people that we just talked about are whom? Hypocrites, and right before that we talked about authors, who in the heart, in their heart, they're both the same type of person. Okay? And what are they like? The following. You have a man in a forest kindling a fire. And the light spreads everywhere. Okay. And then Allah takes away their light, leaving them in darkness, deaf, dumb, and blind. They will not return. Okay. So you have a man kindling a fire, and the light from the fire spreads everywhere. Describe that. What does that mean? Is that positive or negative? Positive. positive. So what is fire? What are different ways that fire is used in the Quran? So one is hell. Okay, what else? When is fire positive in the Quran? Ibrahim al-Islam, give us a story. Um, he was thrown in the fire. 
as a punishment for his actions and turned cold. Yeah, so the people wanted to punish Ibrahim alayhi salam by throwing him in a fire, and then Allah made it be cool, so it actually cooled him. Yeah. Right. But then how do we figure out if the fire is negative or positive? What is this doing? What is this fire doing in our in our metaphor? Light. Okay. What is light often a metaphor for? Over and over again in the Quran. Guidance. So who is this man who is bringing light everywhere? The Prophet, peace be upon him. So their metaphor, they are like the Prophet, peace be upon him, coming, bringing light, spreading it everywhere, but it causes them darkness. Okay. This is interesting. You would like to think that when someone is given guidance, no, when someone is shown something of guidance that they will believe, right? Like if someone sees a miracle, that they should start believing that. But that's not how human nature works. Because we saw this, we saw this with the Quraysh. Did the Quraysh believe that a man wrote the Quran? A few did, but most of them said what? No, a man couldn't have written this. And yet they still refused to believe. And then, we won't get to it, but the children of Israel will see a miracle happening, see a series of miracles happening, but it actually turns their hearts to hardened rocks, or harder than rocks. Okay? So what happens? Allah Ta'ala might give someone the light, or show someone the light, but they actually receive darkness. Okay? It's actually kind of scary. Okay? And so this first metaphor, which is of the light, and it's causing darkness. Now, what is this? This is someone who gets allergic to guidance. Yes? So doesn't that mean like their hearts were already sealed? Yes. Yeah. And so what happens when your heart gets sealed? It's like everything comes upside down. So what is of benefit? You think it's it's a cause of suffering? What's of suffering? You think it's wonderful. So, a dua for this to make is, and I'll give it to you simply in English, okay? Oh Allah, make easy for me what is halal and make hard for me what is haram. Okay. And more than that, oh Allah, make appealing for me what is halal and make repulsive for me what is haram. There's an interesting thing that when you see many of the narrations about the Prophet, peace be upon him, when someone comes to the Prophet, peace be upon him, asking about a sin they've committed, what do you often see the Prophet do right away? Like someone says, okay, I committed zina, and then such and such and such. What does the Prophet immediately do? His head turns away. Right? That sins were so repulsive for him, even hearing about them would compel him to turn away. What often happens, if someone starts telling you about their sins, what happens? Oh, tell me more. What else happened? Right? And so the point is that you want to reach the point that any time you hear of a sin, you find it to be repulsive. Okay. I'll tell you a totally weird story. You don't have to believe it, but it's totally true. Uh, I met a guy who could smell people's sins. Yeah, yeah. Shaykh was agreeing that it can happen. And what did he say that they smelled like? What do you think? Sewage. Like he'd be near people and he would smell sewage on them. Okay. Don't ask me how I tested it, but I tested it. Okay. And yeah, totally. Right. That he could smell sewage on people, often even figuring out what sin it was. Okay. So we reveal these things about ourselves, but what am I saying here? That's how you should look at haram. 
you should think of it as sewage. Okay. <coughs> Second metaphor. This was also interesting. This is uh, 18. This was, we just did a high This is 19. Oh, this is 17 and 18? Yeah. Okay. Or, ow. So now imagine you're walking through a dark rainstorm. It's nighttime, totally dark. And there's thunder and lightning. And then what do these people do? They stick their fingers in their ears. Why are they doing that? Like, what are they trying to get, uh, get rid of? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what the eye says. But what specifically are they trying to get rid of? The sound of thunder. Okay. So they put their fingers in their ears. Sound of thunder is gone. Okay, I'm safe now. Are they safe? No, obviously not because lightning can still kill them. So what is happening here, <coughs> then it says later on the ayah, because of fear of death. Okay. Now this is an interesting thing. If you have fear of Allah, you will run towards Allah. If you have fear of anything in dunya, you're going to run away from it. Anything in dunya, if it's scary, you're going to run away. But if it's fear of Allah, you're going to go towards Allah. So for example, how many of you, don't worry, we're not going to make fun of you too much. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Why are you afraid of spiders? They crawl in there. So, oh my gosh, they can't. It's like making me out. Okay. But you talk about the way they crawl. They don't crawl like normal human beings. What else? What else? Why are spiders frightening? Okay. So like if spiders had big, like, blue eyes or something, they wouldn't be as scary, right? They have, like, long hair, but... Yeah, yeah, okay. So if they are white people, they wouldn't be scary at all. So, yeah. If they are fluffy like cotton, okay. But, you know, like in order we say, okay. What else? Why are, why are uh, spiders scary? Are you Rhea's sister? Yeah. Okay, she told me I have to make fun of you. Okay, so they could hurt you. How? Okay, so they might bite you, even though they have no teeth. What do they have? They got these things. Okay. Now, realistically, in most of our houses, I mean, maybe your houses are different. Most of our houses, the spider's about this big. Is that size spider scary? Yeah. Yeah. That size spider's scary. Like, if you happen to see that type of spider right next to your face on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that spider is more concerned about survival from you than you are from it. That spider, as soon as the spider feels a vibration, is probably going to go in the opposite direction. Right? Yet we're afraid of it. So here's something interesting. We talked about gratitude yesterday. Uh, gratitude is like water. Anger, we didn't talk as much about that in Al-Fatiha. Anger is like fire. And you're going to have one or the other more in your heart. Either the water will wash out the fire, meaning the more gratitude you have, the more it's going to extinguish your anger. Or your anger is going to make your gratitude evaporate. Fire is like lightning. It's jagged. It's almost irrational. So if I have fear of death, 
I might fear all kinds of other things. Why? Because in those split seconds when I see a spider, what am I actually afraid of? I'm afraid of getting killed. Like, what are those other creepy crawly things? You know what I'm talking about? They look like this, and they got like 100 million legs. Centipedes? No, I don't think it's a centipede, it's something else. Silver. Yeah, it's like silver something. What is it? Silverfish. Silverfish, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look up silverfish on your phone. I always see these in my, my house. And I run like a. No, no. So, so the point is. <laughs> the picture was gross, right? Yeah. So here, here's what we're saying here. That hypocrites, in terms of dealing with fear, they behave in the most re ridiculous ways to protect themselves. I'll give you a different example. I don't know if this means I'm a hypocrite or not. I shall know. But when I'm walking through the rain and there's lightning, what do I do to protect myself? And I don't have an umbrella. I'll go like this. <laughs> right? So I lowered my head at three quarters of an inch. And now I feel safe. And that's ridiculous. You know what also happens? Like, babies used to love me. Babies, like, they love crawling all over me and doing whatever. Now, for whatever reason, babies, when they see me, here's what happens I walk up, and here's what the baby does. Why? Because if the baby looks away, the monster is gone. And so the point is that, how do I fix this? I want to shift my fear from fear of death or something of dunya to fear of Allah. And part of that is also when I recognize my behavior is completely irrational and nonsensical, I override it using reason. Right? I did that whole thing. Like for years before I realized, okay, that is just the, like the dumbest thing a person can possibly do. And now I do something even more dumb. I just like walk around like this. So <laughs> more possible for lightning to hit me. But the point is that there's two issues here. One, you have to use your rational thinking and logic to override your fear. That takes effort, but it becomes easier as you increase your fear of Allah. Hypocrites fear dunya, not Allah. You will find hypocrites are always so concerned, what do people think about me? What do people think about me? And you'll see, then they try to do things to please people. It's one thing, like we said yesterday, when you're your age, it's very common to be concerned about what people think about you. But if you start changing your behavior to make them happy, um, to the point that you start overriding your Islam, then you're probably going the wrong, down the wrong road, and you're not going to be able to make them happy. Okay, okay third metaphor. This is uh, 20. So this is now 20. So, they're walking through this forest, and the lightning almost snatches away their sight. Yeah. Like, you've all seen it. It's totally dark, lightning flashes, and it's bright as day, right? So, what happens? They're not moving, because they're too afraid to. Lightning flashes, and then they start walking, and then they get dark, it gets dark again, and they're afraid to move. Why are they walking when it's lightning? They can see what? They can see that their next step is safe, right? But then when it's dark again, they're afraid to move. So here's another subtle point. So they're relying on the lightning for sight, for safety. Lightning which can kill them. Okay. So someone yesterday made the point that a lot of this is about the of Allah. This is where this, who, who, who said that yesterday? 
Yes, Marshall. Okay. So another question is, who or what do you rely upon for safety? So the hypocrite is relying upon things that can't help and are dangerous. It would be kind of like turning to Cheetos for nutrition, <laughs> right? Like, okay, it's orange, so it's citrus, so I'm going to eat Cheetos, and I'll be okay, right? You know how, how ridiculous that is. Sorry? Yeah, try it. See, see how healthy you do not get. Okay. <laughs> so another question is, what do you rely upon in those moments of fear? you rely upon something that can help you? Meaning, of course, Allah, or not? Because what does the rest of the ayah say? What happens if Allah Ta'ala takes away their sight and their hearing? What would they do? They'd be paralyzed. Paralyzed with fear. So, <clears throat> these are metaphors. Now, all of this is a perfect setup for what we're about to see. But before we look at what we're about to see, we've now gone through, mashallah, 20 ayahs. How many commands have we gone through? In through, list out all the commands for a seder. And even think of al-fatiha, how many commands are there in al-fatiha? Like directly? Commands, yeah. Commands, or Allah Ta'ala is telling you and me, do this, don't do this. instruction do I need to look at the Quran? Because wudu doesn't come until like surah 5. Okay. What? What surah? Ma'adha or Anam? Take a, a break for 
two minutes. Two minutes, get up, walk around, meet your cool friends. So when it says 30 on this clock, come back, or we'll just restart whether you're here or not. Okay. So she has the back, like the back to spread and then it's something bomb.